Welcome to Yeah The Gals podcast, where I, Loz McGlynn, chat with epic everyday women who have paved their way to success in their space. We hope you feel inspired, motivated, and ready to listen to some honest and open conversations. Because gals, you bloody got these. Well, gals, here we are back again for season three of YTG, aka Yeah The Gals. And in this first episode, I had the pleasure of chatting with one bright, bubbly and highly experienced family lawyer, and that is Kate O'Grady. Kate's journey into law was unexpected, as she initially had a very long list of career choices for university, and a law degree was definitely not one of them. However, A last-minute decision based on some advice from her careers advisor led her to pursue a law degree alongside a bachelor's in communications. After uni, Kate started her career at a community legal centre where she provided support to victims of family violence. This experience exposed her to the real world of law and introduced her to some amazing colleagues and mentors who are still friends of hers to this day. From there, she transitioned to private practice and faced some pretty tough lessons in the courtroom that ultimately helped shape her into the absolute powerhouse that she is today. Kate is now an award-winning accredited family law specialist, mediator and family dispute lawyer, and she has worked at one of the largest firms in Sydney, rising to positions of senior associate and then partner. Unexpectedly, Kate moved to the Central Coast where initially she planned to only stay for six months. It's now been 10 years and she has built a beautiful life and a strong network of colleagues and friends who have supported her through some of life's biggest challenges. Throughout our conversation, we delve into Kate's career journey, her passion for family law, the client's perspective of the legal process, advice for those going through the thick of it, and how her own personal experiences have shaped her into the amazing lawyer that she is today. But Kate's awesomeness extends beyond her career. She exudes a strong sense of self, balancing strength and vulnerability. She adores her friends, her partner, her family, and her wild and wonderful son, Sunny. Just a quick side note, we got so caught up in our chat that Kate Lowkey forgot to mention one very special person, So I'm also giving a shout out to her incredible mum who has been an invaluable support system in her life. Shout out to you, Mumsy. I absolutely loved listening to Kate's experience and wisdom, so I know that you guys will too. We hope you enjoy this first ep. Happy Friday, Katie. How are you? Hello. Happy Friday. I'm really good. A little bit nervous, but I'm doing it. I'm so here. I love it. Everyone says that. And as soon as we get into it, it's just talking the back legs off a donkey together. <laughs> you and I have something in common and that is we hate the sound of our own voice. I hate it. And I can hear myself in my headphones, but I'm pushing through the fear. I love it. No, it's funny. Like for someone that started a podcast, like I do not like the sound of my own voice, but I get validation knowing that I'm not alone. Like everyone hates the sound of their own voice. Yeah, it's and definitely top five fear for me is top, microphones. So, top yeah, five top fear. Five. Boy, you're the sound of your own voice and a microphone. Absolutely, hate and, it. And hate you're doing it. both as I we know, speak. I know. All we need is to bring in some sausage dogs, make me go on a Ferris wheel, 
koi fish. That's about and microphones. That's <laughs> like my fears. <laughs> sausage well, dogs terrify me. There is no sausage dogs okay. here today. I should be fine then. We should I can be deal fine. with a microphone as long as there's no. Sorry, oh. to, sorry to anyone listening that has sausage dogs. That's all right. You're allowed to. We're allowed to have fears. Um, but despite that, thank you for agreeing to come in. You are so welcome. I, I love the podcast. I'm a huge fan. Oh, stop it! I love. It's hard for me to get my <laughs> head around that. But no, I was so chuffed when you said yes. I had been thinking about asking you to come on the podcast for a little while, and we've known each other a little bit throughout the years. But I'm going to kick off and ask the first question I ask everyone. And that is, who is Katie? Katie O'Grady. And tell me, what do you do? Okay. I am definitely someone that probably shouldn't wear white. I'm feeling a little bit nervous about this, but (laughs) I can confirm, especially for the girls in the office listening, that I've made it through the day without spilling any kind of substance on my white jacket. So I'm very, feeling very good about that. I am a mum to a wild and wonderful little boy called Sonny who's about to turn six. So he's six in October. Um, I'm a lawyer. I am a partner, a daughter, friend, a yeah. sister. I grew up in the Blue Mountains. Yep. And have a real love for nature mm-hmm. and animals and the environment and grew up in a family where I think they're all very passionate about the environment, social justice. Yeah. So that's where that comes from for me. Um, I was going to say, like, when you, like, when you finished school, did you always feel like you were going to get into the law space? Like, Absolutely not. So I think I was laughing at this before I came in. When I had to do my selections for my HSC, the selections that I had were to do science, zoology, social studies, teaching to be a drama teacher. I wanted to be a marine biologist. I wanted to be a journalist. I wanted to do photography. And I remember in year 12 going, the two professions that I hate the most, that I judged the most were journalists and lawyers. And I ended up doing the early acceptance scheme through Western Sydney Uni. And so what that was is you could apply to get into university early and they looked at your assessments from year 11 and year 12. They talked to all of your teachers. So they had to say, this is what she's like. Rather than just taking the marks from the HSC, they looked at all of your work over the two year period. So when I applied, my careers advisor said, you apply for the top mark course first. And I wanted to do communications. And he's like, why don't you do law? And I'm like, law? I don't want to do law. And he's like, why don't you just put it in? Because that's the highest mark to get in. And I got accepted. (laughs) And then I was like, oh my God, I just got accepted to do law. What am I? Oh my God. Should I do it? Should I give it a crack? And it was this real thing of I'd never wanted to do law previously. It wasn't even on my radar and it was complete accident that I put it down on the list. Yeah, and it was right. only because my careers advisor said, I think you'd be really good at it. Why don't you put it down and just see what happens? You don't have to do it. Were you, in that moment, could you have decided to do something else or you were like, I'm just going to give this a crack? I'm like, I'm just going to give it a go. So I did a combined journalism and law degree. Wow. And then I kept thinking throughout the degree because I didn't particularly like the law side of it. Loved the journalism side of it. And I kept thinking to myself through uni, finish the journalism side of it and then if you don't want to keep going with the law, you don't have to. Yeah. I just had it in my head that I would do something media related rather than the legal side of it. So I graduated from the journalism in 2001 and then I'm like, I'll just keep going. So I'd done criminal law, I'd done family law, 
I'd done human rights law, environmental law. So I was starting to do subjects that actually interested me. And I thought, oh, maybe, maybe I'll just keep going with this and just see. And it definitely got better towards the end of the degree because you're doing subjects that you actually like. Was it hard to be motivated when you weren't really sure? Yes. And it's really dry. Law is really dry. And I wasn't a fantastic student. Like I was in high school. I was used to being in the top two of my classes at high school. Yeah. And then I came from being the peak to then getting credits at uni, which was hard initially because I'm like, what do you mean? I only got 65. I wasn't a great academic student. And a lot of people think that you need to be that to be a good lawyer. What Um, do you need to be, do you think, to be a good lawyer? I think the best skills that I learned were definitely on the job. To be a family lawyer, because each area of law is different, but to be a family lawyer, you have to be able to relate to people and you have to be able to have good communication skills. I think you need to be able to listen. You need to be able to understand. Like family law, the law is easy. The law side is easy. Yeah. It's the emotional side of family law that's hard. I feel like I should have done a psychology degree (laughs) as well as law because most of the work that we do is getting to understand the psychology behind the breakdown of the relationship and what's their communication like and how will the other person respond yeah. to a particular situation so that we can develop a strategy that suits that, that. That must be so hard and I can't wait to talk a little bit more about that. With the decision to step into family law, at what point did you go, yeah, I'm just going to go family law, that's where I want to go. Like how did that transition from studying it to then going out in the world? Yeah. So again, complete accident. I I didn't want to do family law. I think I wanted to be a criminal lawyer when I finished or to do human rights, completely opposite fields, but I didn't really know what I was going to do. I was working full time as a waitress and I was like taking my time. I was just a little bit hesitant because I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. So I walked into the community legal center in Katoomba and asked if I could volunteer there while I was finishing my PLT, which is the practical legal component of your studies once you've finished your degree. I started there volunteering and my supervisor was a family lawyer. And so I had this fabulous woman. She'd come from the UK. She was a real activist for women's rights and she'd had this fabulous career in the UK. And I just loved her. She was just the most inspiring woman. And so she was my mentor and she was doing family law. The very first job that I had through that legal centre was to work with victims of family violence, so children and women that had been victims of family violence. So we worked on the victims compensation scheme together, her and I, and also did a lot of court assistance work. We'd go to court with women when they had AVO matters listed in the local court and sit in the safe room and like just help them to feel comfortable. It wasn't necessarily a legal role. It was more of a support role. And then from that kind of fell into family Family law law. through there. And then incidentally, she came to move my admission, which is when you have to have a lawyer come with you to the Supreme Court to stand up and say, I move the admission of Cato Grady. It's like a sponsor or something. So she came with me and my auntie came with me and they fell in love across the table (gasps) on the day And then we're in a relationship for 20 years, not quite, 15 years together. Are you kidding? My very first mentor became my auntie (gasps) and I regard her as a member of my family and love her to be. Oh my God, did not see that coming. I know. Equally love her. (laughs) Oh my God, wow. Yeah, so that was pretty special. So I still have her in my life, which is amazing, but 
That must be such a core memory for you. Yeah, but I've been really lucky. I've just had these fabulous women Mm. that have been incredible mentors to me in my career. It's funny. Do you think that if you never met her, you wouldn't be doing what you're doing today? I probably wouldn't be doing family law. And there are definitely days when I blame her for that. Yeah. (laughs) It's definitely not the easiest job in the world, but I'm really grateful. I would not have had the career that I have without her. It's crazy when you think back and you realise that there's just these key people in your life that literally shaped not only who you are, but what you do. And I love hearing that because it's almost like these serendipitous moments or something just happens really naturally that leads you. Obviously it does, but it's just, it must be nice to actually think back and see, oh, wow, like these are the moments that shaped me and like why I'm sitting right here now talking about it sort of thing. What was that like? Like, you know, you'd studied it for so long and then you started stepping into these real life scenarios and having to sit and and as a support to those women who were going through family violence. What was that like to then actually be living it and being a part of that process for somebody in those early days? It was really full on. So to go from learning through a textbook Mm. where it's just strangers or people that you're reading about in a book to have someone sitting in front of you telling the most horrific story of violence to them or their children, I was really rattled by it. Like it was really hard not to take it on as your own personal cause. And because I was so little, like I was so young, that was a really big jump for me to go from waitressing and learning from an academic perspective to then go into these really huge and traumatic cases, but also so incredibly rewarding to actually help these women and children come out the other side, setting them up with support services, getting them access to funds, housing, counselling, all of those things. So incredibly rewarding, but really challenging. It just stays with you, those Mm -hmm. kind of things. And they're some of the most horrific things that I've heard in my life. But yeah, that was how it started. Yeah. As you were saying earlier on, it's something you have to learn on the job. There's no other way but then to just like be with those women it's it's really emotional so you also don't know how that person is processing it 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 would be such a tough job but as you said to then see that hopefully a lot of them did get the support that they needed and were able to move on with their life like is that not always there wasn't always happy endings but a lot of the time we actually you could see the benefit for the work that you'd done so yeah. it, was, it was really rewarding and you don't always get that in family law there's not always a happy ending yeah but with those kind of things if you had a good case in terms of evidence and being able to prove things you could often get the a really good outcome yeah for it. where did you go from there so I got pushed out of the nest I wanted to stay there I was like I'm staying here forever I'm going to stay and work at the community legal center and I'm going to work on the victim's compensation and I'm going to be a community legal center lawyer and there was two mentors there and they're like you have to go and get some experience in private practice they're like you have to get inside the belly of the beast that's what they called it to understand how the world works so they were like just go and do some experience at a firm so I did the second half of my PLT at a family law firm in Penrith and worked with a lady again incredible mentor who is one of my best friends to this day and is in in my network I love her she's the best so i went there and I've actually really liked it, of course, because I've never left the belly of the beast. I'm still in private (laughs) practice from that day. From there, got offered a job where I worked for about three years. Again, incredible female mentor that was the biggest family law nerd I've ever met and taught me that it's actually really cool to be nerdy about family law stuff because I'm a massive nerd. 
um, love reading. I, I sit and read the Family Law Act, which is I used to read a dictionary as a kid. I'm oh my a, god! I'm a massive nerd. I love if words. That, it's not a key indicator <laughs> that you were born for this. I, I don't such, know. I'm <laughs> such a nerd. So she she taught me to be really uh, fastidious, pay attention to detail, because we were a small firm. I had huge experience to all kinds of different matters thrown right in the deep end. I'm um, going to court really early on and. I would have looked like I was about 12 when I started practicing yeah. because I was only 24 and I've always looked really young. I think, yeah. I think back to the clients that I would have walked in being like, hey, I'm your lawyer. And they'd be going, you're oh. still at school. Can we please have a... And people would say, are you the real lawyer or is there someone older than you? Like how the number of times I got asked. How old are you? Are you old enough to be doing this? How did you overcome that though? I had a real phobia and I remember I'd stand before I'd go in to see clients and do deep breathing and go, you can do this. Like you can do this. But the very first thing that people would often say is, oh my gosh, you're so young. Yeah. Are you old enough to be doing this? Yeah. I did get to a point where I could use that to my advantage cause, because I'd just pretend that I didn't really know what I was doing, especially if you had someone really awful on the other side. A lot of chauvinist men in the industry. Amazing men. I've had the most incredible male mentors, but over my career, I've had some real doozies of men yeah. crying like, you can go and do my photocopying, you can go and get my coffee kind of thing. Yeah. And it's actually quite helpful. When I was going to say, I don't want to be like, oh, I don't really know what you're talking about because yeah. I'm just so young. And then go in and just wipe the floor with them in court and be like, oh, I just remembered. I actually do know what yeah. I'm doing. So it got to the I point. I love that. <laughs> if I had a gavel right now. <laughs> it got to the point where I felt confident in myself, but it took yeah. a long time. Yeah. It's terrifying to be a baby lawyer. It's really nerve wracking. And so much depends on your experience with, say, judges or other lawyers and they can make or break you. And so many junior lawyers just get terrible support, terrible supervision, and they're thrown in the deep end. Going to court for the first time can be terrifying. Yeah. You have to pretend that you know what you're doing when, yeah. and sound confident because a client is literally paying you money to represent them. They want to feel like you're confident. So much of the early years is just fake it till you make it. Yeah. Like you've just got to pretend to be confident do even they, when you're not. Do they give you like during your studies, do they give you any of those soft skill training where you learn like presentation skills and those interpersonal skills that you really need to be able to overcome some of those challenges? Not really. We do, they call it mooting, which is where you have to get up in a fake courtroom and basically argue a case. But even saying it now, it triggers me because the lecturer that we had that would do the moots terrifying. I'm shitting and my he, pants just hearing you he say that. He would like rip you to shreds in front of the whole class and say, what section of this legislation is that? What case is that from, Miss O'Grady? And he'd be like, oh, like I can't even remember my name right now, mate, because I'm shitting myself. Yeah. Can you please just be nice? But it was good because there's judges like that. I'll never forget one of my first court appearances was before a particular judge in Parramatta who had a reputation for just being terrifying. My boss had said, just go and hand up these terms of settlement. They've reached an agreement. It's fine. And so all day I'm like, practice, like, may it please the court, Miss O'Grady, I appear for the applicant thinking, yeah, I've got this. Like I, I sound great. I'm so confident yeah. I can do this. Forgetting that I might have to say other things or know anything about <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, announce my appearance thinking, yes, I've just nailed that. That sounded great. And he starts asking me questions. And he's like, what is the overall percentage of this split? I'm like, huh? What? What do you mean? Just flailing 
in a courtroom full of people looking like a baby, just like going bright red in the face to the point that he said in a packed courtroom, is there actually somebody here that knows something about this file that can come up and take your place because clearly you don't know anything. I can still remember. I was 24, just absolute baby, just had no idea. He no longer sits, but I appeared before him many times after that and, oh, my goodness, I knew everything. And I was so, so You didn't prepared. make the same mistake twice. So prepared. But how do you, that's how you learn, That's right? how you learn. Yeah. And I say that to the juniors that I work with now, unfortunately, the big learning curves and the ones where you make mistakes. Yeah. Especially really big ones. Yeah. That's because you remember. You so- do. And it's funny you say that. It's not the same thing. But when I first entered sales, I was up against really senior reps. And when I first started, I had this one person call and I'm like, hi, it's Lauren. They're like, can I speak to your mum? Because I was the <laughs> new rep. And so I was like, this is the sales rep. And they were like, I feel like I need to tell you to do your homework because my voice is obviously sound like I barely graduated high school. <laughs> and so I just remember that going, oh, my God, like I'm and I kept coming up against that. So I had to learn how to almost like credential myself before people had a chance to question my capabilities. But I remember it. It's like a core memory in my mind. And it is how you learn, right? Just talking a little bit more around what family law is. Does it depend like what kind of family law firm it is or do you guys cover like a broad range of? So family law generally relates to the breakdown of a relationship. Yeah. So either a de facto relationship or the breakdown of a marriage. So we help people deal with things like property settlement, parenting arrangements for kids after separation, maintenance, which is payment of financial support between the parties, or they call it alimony in the States. You probably heard it on TV shows and things. We call it maintenance here, child support, which is financial support for the kids and divorce. So that's broadly the things. There are some associated areas like surrogacy, adoption, care and protection, and some criminal matters that have some interaction with family law. But generally, if you're a family lawyer, you're dealing with your property settlement, parenting matters, divorce, child support, maintenance. That's like the core areas that we deal with. I probably want to ask two questions. I want to talk into what the process is, but I also want to keep talking about your career because it's bloody (laughs) exciting. You were working in that firm out in the belly of the beast. Yes. So I was in Penrith for three years and then I got headhunted by a bigger firm um, based in Sydney and Parramatta and Canberra. So I started there in 2009 and was there for 10 years. So I ended up becoming a senior associate and then a partner there. And that was incredible. I had the most fabulous experience there and still talk to old colleagues and mentors from that firm almost daily. One in particular, who's like my best friend in the world, Morris, shout out to you if you're listening. He's my phone a friend and he has just been so instrumental in my career of a mentor, a friend, but someone that is always there to pick up the phone. And I still have days where I'm like, oh, not quite sure about this. I like to brainstorm and he's always there to yeah. answer the phone. So he's amazing. Can I ask, sorry to just rewind, but what was that like for you to be headhunted? You've obviously started to build quite a good reputation. Why do you think that they were like, come and work for us? I actually know the answer because Morris was telling this story to people a couple of weekends ago. We had a conference, so he was talking about it and how it came to be that I was headhunted because he was involved and he was friends with a mutual friend of mine who was also a lawyer in Penrith and she had said, oh my God, you have to meet Kate. She's fabulous. She's so bright and bubbly, super fun, really friendly, but she's so good at her job, gets really good results. She works really hard, great in court. So 
they actually sent spies to come and watch me in court without me realising. Oh my God, you're getting scouted. I'm getting scout like proper scouted. I'd just be doing my thing, not realising that there's people from the firm in the background like making notes about things. So that's how I got the job. Wow. Did you yeah. know that or did no. you only find that out a few weeks ago? No, I did know about one of the supervisors that I had sitting in the back of the courtroom because he told me once yeah. I got the job. But, yeah, it was very interesting. That must feel so I good, I would have been though. shitting myself if I knew that at the time, but... Yeah, had no idea. So that must feel pretty good, though. Yeah, yeah, and it was such an incredible firm at the time. Like a lot of the partners went on to become judges. I just made incredible connections and learnt and was taught so much in such a short space of time. I came in quite fresh. I was still quite young, and I did my specialist accreditation super early. Your specialist accreditation is when you do extra study through the Law Society and then you're assessed on your skills. And so it's designed for people that have been practising for a long time. But you can't apply until you've been practising full-time for at least five years. The firm that I was at were like, you should apply. And I'm like, I haven't really even been practising for five years yet. They're like, you'll be fine. Don't worry about it. And I'm like, "Mm, I don't know. I think there's probably a reason why you're meant to have been practising for five years. They're like, you'll be fine. You actually can't do that anymore for good reason because you're meant to have been doing it for a long time. Anyway, so it was about three months of really intense study, reading all of the cases, learning like every rule, every bit of legislation, every obscure section known to man. And then you had to do an exam for three and a half hours. You had to do an interview. You had to submit uh, a whole range of your work. And I passed. So that was in 2011. I got fast-tracked. I didn't even become an associate. I was just a lawyer and then all of a sudden I was a senior associate at one of the biggest firms in Sydney. And I'm like, what? Little old me. But I'll tell you, I've never felt smarter as I have after that. I was yeah. like this walking encyclopedia quoting all the... Like, I was going to say, like the, the, the retention, the ability to retain information must be so important. And it, I feel like I used to have a photographic memory and I could read a full page and basically remember what was on the page, like almost like I can take a photo in my mind. That is no longer the case because I've (laughs) obviously had a few wines since then and getting (laughs) getting a lot older. It's not quite as sharp, but it's still, I still have a pretty good memory um, for things. But yeah, doing that was incredible. It was terrifying because it was something I probably wasn't ready to do in hindsight, but I'm so glad. because I was going to say, you're glad you did it when you did. It pretty much fast-tracked my career. I became a senior associate in 2011 and then a partner by 2016. I was one of the youngest at that time to be a partner and it was an incredible experience. I was in court nearly every day. I loved and hated it. There's a real, unfortunately, there's both a real collegiate approach to family law in some areas and unfortunately some of the city practitioners don't have that collegiate approach so it's quite cutthroat. Yeah. It can be really intense and you can't always trust everybody what they say but also a really good learning experience to do that to do the really big litigation cases in Sydney. Did you ever cross paths with people that you had met early on in your career that maybe did question your capabilities and then you're walking in like senior associate doing your thing, just like, morning. Hi. Yeah. Nice to see you again. I'm back, baby, and I remember you. Yeah. (laughs) I remember. That must have felt so good though. Yeah. Not that you want to be like, you're an asshole, but it is actually so nice that it's don't judge a book. Yeah. 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 But I've always approached it that it's better to be 
friends, yeah, not course. friends, but friendly with your opponent because you don't want to go in being a dickhead yeah. because the chances are that you're going to have to work with that person again in the future and you might need them to be nice to you. You're not always going to have the good case. So yeah. sometimes people get too cocky and they're like, I've got a really good case. I don't need to work with you. I don't need to negotiate because we're going to win. That might be right, but then next time around you might have the really bad case and you might need them to be a little bit kind to you. And if you're too cocky and you just be a dick, you won't get that in return. So And it's much better to be able to pick up the phone and have a conversation with somebody and to say, hey, can we sort this out and stop sending nasty letters to each other? Yeah, then it'd be this tip-for-tat thing. Yeah. Yeah. What were some of the things that you've learned in that period of those big cases and like your time in Sydney? That would be one of them. Yeah. And look, don't get me wrong. I have been one of those people, like many times in my career, I've sent many nasty letters and been probably too aggressive. And especially in the peak of that career in Sydney, it's just, you get stuck in that mentality of running these big matters and having a kind of cutthroat approach to it. I think it took two things, moving up here, which is a much more collegiate area of practice, like the practitioners all know each other. So it's much easier to pick up the phone and kind of work with the other side, but also going through it myself. So going through my own separation, I was like, oh my goodness. Okay. I know what that feels like now to get a letter from a lawyer. Yeah. It's terrifying. I don't want to do that to people because I just remember sitting in my car, reading a letter, like shaking, going, oh my God, I do this to people every day. Yeah. This is me. I do this. And I'm a lawyer and I was shaking reading a letter. So imagine what it's like for people that don't have that experience, yeah. that don't have that knowledge. That are running on emotions. Get the, you know. Yeah. Going through the hardest period of their life and then they get a letter from a lawyer that's, so you yeah. do this in this particular time frame and if not, we're going to court. And look, sometimes you still have to be quite firm with people to get results, but that completely shifted the way that I approach things. And that's what led me doing the mediation course. So you were in Sydney and then you moved to the coast. Yeah. So funny story, I'd had a breakup with a boyfriend in Sydney and I'd gone to one of the partners at the firm that I was at because I'd heard that they were potentially going to link up with a firm in Melbourne. And I'm like, I want to go. I want to go to Melbourne or Brisbane. There was some talks at the time of them locking up with someone. I'm like, where can I go? What have you got for me? Erina. Er- what? What do you, that's an hour away. Come on, help me out. Surely there's something else like Perth, Brisbane, Melbourne. He's like, Erina, actually, we really need you to go to Erina. Like, okay, I'll go for a month. This is in 2013. So I came up here for a month, stayed in a granny flat, same firm, but they'd just opened an office on the coast, just helping them to get the family law team up and running. After the month, I was like, it's like cool. I like being so close to the beach. I don't have to drive for an hour to get there. People seem really friendly. At first when I'd go for a walk up here and people would go, hi, I'd be like, psycho, why are you talking to me? Because you're in Sydney, right? And people don't do that. So I'm coming up here and they're like, morning. I'm like, so weird. weird. (laughs) Psycho's up here. I thought I'll just stay for six months because it's nice to have a break from Sydney. So I said, look, I'll stay for six months and then I'm coming back and then I want to go somewhere else. And that was 10 years ago. And now and I never went back. I never went back. I just fell in love with it. And then you met your now ex? Yeah. So we met 
gosh, I can't even remember. So my son was born in 2017. So yeah, 2013, 2014, we bought a house, like got married, had a baby. Yeah. All of those things, unfortunately, didn't work out. Yeah. And we separated, which was horrendous for both of us, I yeah. think. But in hindsight, from a professional perspective has been one of the most important things for my career is having that understanding of what it's like to be on the other side. And I don't often share details about it with clients, but even just to be able to say, I actually know what this feels like. Yeah, I know what it feels like to be you. And I know what it feels like to get letters. I know what it feels like to go to court. People find that really comforting to know that the person representing them actually knows what it feels like. And I can say with authority, it's going to get better. Like I know you're in the dark days now and I know it feels like you're never going to feel better or that you'll never be able to have a conversation with that person ever again once you're on the other side of that yucky stuff that everyone has to go through. When you're in the thick of it, it feels like there's no light. But once you're on the other side of it, it gets so much better. Like we're in a great place now, both of us just want to work together to get outcomes for Sonny that's the best for him. Yeah. We'll never be best friends, but we can call each other. We can sit in the same room. We sit together when we go to events or things. We sit together at parent-teacher interviews. Like we chat at Changeover. We're at the stage of kind of making mean jokes to each other, which is like friendly, right? That's like a breakthrough. Do you think that your background helped you navigate that? And do you think having gone through it personally, who you have as a family lawyer can make or break what the outcome is? Or Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I often say to clients, because they get scared when they see that the other side's got a good lawyer on the other side, I'm like, no, that's a good thing. We want to have someone that actually knows what they're doing that is not going to give crazy advice like you're entitled to 90% when they're clearly not entitled to 90%. And there are plenty of those people out there that will just tell clients exactly what they want to hear and they increase costs, they delay things and they create so much conflict because they're giving people unrealistic expectations. Mm. So sometimes having two good lawyers is the best thing. The best outcome for them. Because they're, if they give realistic uh, advice that's within range and work together, you're going to get an outcome much faster, much cheaper. Not always because sometimes you can't sort things out and you do need to fight about it. But having a good lawyer is absolutely key to resolving something early. But just going back to what you said about did my background help me? I think the biggest thing is that I've seen so many people just say to me, my focus is the kids, but then they just fight and they fight about everything. And these kids just end up stuck in this conflict for years and there's just no end to it and they spend money and just knowing what it feels like and how heightened you are from an emotional perspective, like you're constantly anxious. So you just constantly got adrenaline and cortisol pumping through your body. It's so unhealthy to be in that state. And even if you are really good at acting, your kids know. They can feel feel it. it. They can feel it when you're not right. My son is so in tune with me. I can be like, I'm fine. And he's like, mommy, he knows when I'm not okay. I think for me, I was just so determined not to do that to him. I just didn't want there to be conflict. I'm like, I will be your best friend if I have to, because we are going to be friends. This is going to be okay. And to his credit too, we're both worked hard for that to happen. Yeah. Yeah. So that we can be in the same room. Sonny is never going to remember what it was like in the thick of it, thank God. And he just thinks that he's got two households, two homes, people that love him. Jace is repartnered. I've repartnered. It's just extra people that love you. Yeah. And you have to work hard for that. Yeah. But you can do it. 
but it takes a lot of putting the stuff aside. Absolutely, which, as you said, with heightened emotions might seem so impossible at the start. And for people that obviously haven't gone through it before, the whole process is overwhelming. Like, where do you start? If you were to talk through in an ideal situation, someone separates, they decide they want to go their separate ways, there might be kids involved or there might be property involved. What's the process? So my preference for people is to get advice early. It's really good to get an understanding of what your entitlements are, what your rights and responsibilities are, because we talk about rights, but often I like to talk about responsibilities with pe- with parenting, because that's what you do have is a responsibility to your kids. But if you get advice early from a good lawyer that knows what they're talking about, that you get a realistic understanding of what your entitlements are going to be and of the process, that's a really good first step so that you have an understanding of how it might play out, but also to refer you to other support services. So for anyone going through it, yes, you need to have a good lawyer, but you also need to have a good counsellor. Having an amazing tribe of girlfriends, invaluable. Yeah. (laughs) It's really stressful, but if you approach it holistically, so I always ask people, do you have a good counsellor? Do you have a good psychologist? Because I can help you with the legal stuff, but it's really important that your mental health is looked after. You've got to look after your physical health. You've got to approach it holistically to make sure that people are Do you okay. find sometimes too that people might look to you for those sorts of roles as well? Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, in the early stages, it's really important that people feel like they can tell you their story mm. and that you've heard it. And I spend usually two hours with new clients, sometimes an hour, but generally two, because I want to know, I want to get an understanding of their story and know what makes them tick. But after that, it's not in their interest for me to be spending hours and hours in conferences with them because it just costs so much money. So we want to move through efficiently. We want to get things done. And it's not my role. And it doesn't help anybody if I get emotionally invested in the case. It just does not help. I need to remain objective and look at things from an outside perspective to be able to see this is the strategy to get the best outcome for this person. If I'm emotionally invested and getting into that with them, I'm not going to see things that I need to see to help them move through it. So that's been one of the biggest things that I've learned. And you just do it naturally after doing it for so long. You start to develop a bit of a thick skin. Is that hard though? I have the most beautiful clients. Mm. I'm so lucky. I had one of the girls I work with yesterday say, you have the best clients. I'm like, I know I feel really lucky. I just, and most of my work is now personal referrals. So I just get good people referring me good people. Some are harder and it's hard. I find it hard when I really like someone. The hardest cases for me are the people that are really struggling, that don't necessarily have the money or they're in a really unfair or unsafe situation. That's my passion project is just helping. I have a really strong sense of social justice. Like I, I like to fight for the underdog. I like to stick up for people that can't stick up for themselves. I'm terrible at doing it for myself. I've been a people pleaser my whole life. Mm. So I'm always like, that's okay. Don't worry. It's fine. Don't worry about it. It's fine. But with my job, I'm the complete opposite. Helping people that can't help themselves. Yeah. That's what I'm here for. And a really good point that you said around you removing the emotion and laying it down to start with, because obviously that could cause delays. Absolutely. Yeah. It just doesn't help. It's hard, but the legal framework doesn't really allow for that emotion. Like the court doesn't care about why the relationship broke down. Yeah. And this is the hardest thing to say to people because people come in and they're like, he or she did this or they've been unfaithful or they've done this and this. Whilst there are some exceptions where we do look at conduct in family law matters, the court doesn't care why the relationship broke down. But of course, 
you do care at yeah. the time when it's you. And so it's really hard for people to be processing something so traumatic as a breakdown yeah. whilst trying to navigate a really complex legal system. So I can do that part. I'm like, let me navigate the complexities of the family law system for you. I can help with the legal stuff. Like yeah. that's what I can do. But with the emotional side, you need to actually get extra lock support in with somebody that is qualified to do that because that is not me. Yeah. That is not my job. And it's hard because sometimes I have to be quite firm with people and say, look, I'm really sorry. I'm just going to stop you there because that's not my area. I want to focus on X, Y, and Z. And it feels like I'm being a bit cold, but it's actually for their benefit. Yeah. Otherwise I could charge you for sitting there talking, but I'm not your friend. Although sometimes I am because I love my clients. You have to maintain that independence and I'm not a counsellor. So it's really true, but it's for their own good. It's like cruel to be kind. I have to focus on the ways that I can get you out of this quickly focus on the legal issues and you not spending a fortune because it costs so much money and it takes such a long time. My goal is get people in and out as quickly as possible. Rip the band-aid off. Yeah. And when you say be efficient, I I guess it can vary case by case, but in an ideal world, would that process take or how long does it generally take? You've got to be prepared for it to be a couple of months if you haven't started the negotiation. So some people do come in and they say, we've reached an agreement. They have a really good relationship. It's amicable. They're like, this is the deal. Can you help me? And generally it can be done in a month, sometimes quicker. Like I've had cases where it's been done in a week. It depends how much work they've done beforehand. Yeah. But say if they're coming to me saying, we're just, we've just separated I want to get the process rolling. The best thing that people can do is to not try to hide things, to not try to keep bank accounts or shares or things from people or if there's things in relation to parenting, like just put everything on the table, negotiate in good faith. If you don't, it takes longer, it costs more and you get a worse outcome. Yeah. So I just say to clients, just be honest with me. Tell me all the things. Yeah. Like tell me all the things. Yeah. And I know some things. Oh, I can imagine. I could write so many books if I was allowed, which I'm not, but. I'm wow. glad we didn't get a cup of tea because we'd be sitting here <laughs> drinking it. But you want people to be upfront, to do their disclosure quickly, to you make reasonable offers of settlement to resolve it, and then you draw up the settlement documents and you're in and out. That probably, if you say to people, say three months, it's generally is a ballpark. You go to court, you're going to be there to trial at least 12 months, if not 18, sometimes two years. And No one would, wants that. And why would people choose to go through the courts if they can't reach an agreement? Yeah, some people have to, unfortunately. Not everybody can get along or reach an agreement. So the, there's only two ways that you can resolve a family law matter, either parenting or property, by consent or by a judge. That's the only two ways. And by consent can include mediation, negotiation through lawyers, negotiation between the parties themselves, reaching an agreement, but it's it has to be by consent. So they both have to agree. So all you need is one really difficult person Even if one person is really reasonable, it just takes one really unreasonable person to say, no, I'm not doing that. Or if there's urgency or if there's family violence or significant mental health issues or if there's a risk to property being disposed of, sometimes you have to and sometimes you have to do that first. Sometimes you just have to go straight to court, especially if kids are at risk. You don't mess around. You just go to court straight away. When the court plays a really important role there for people that can't reach an agreement. Yeah. And what you were saying about having a good lawyer on the other side, like that makes sense when you talk through the process, because if you've got a person that's really hard to get, be agreeable, but you've got a good lawyer that sort of goes, mate, this is just like not worth it. Can that be helpful as well? Absolutely. And look, sometimes you just have to say to people, 
yes, you'd get a better outcome if it went to court. Absolutely. But it's going to cost you 50000 or more. Like that's minimum yeah. you know, for people. It's so expensive and it's going to be one or two years of your life to get there. Is that worth that? Yeah. And sometimes it could be 5% that we're talking about. And when you're on the other side of it, like as someone that's been there, it is so worth getting it done quickly yeah. and compromising and moving through it quickly because if you're just stuck in that cycle, you're stuck in high conflict, you're stuck in getting letters and sending letters and panic, getting your documents together and having to attend court can be quite confronting and intimidating for people. It means time off work and the kids are exposed to it. Like I was going to say, especially like if you've got kids. It's really traumatic to yeah. go through that. Most cases do settle prior to trial, but if you end up in a trial, you're going to be cross-examined. And to do that to somebody that you once were in love with and once in love enough to have a child together, you're pretty much trying to destroy their credibility and make them look bad. So it's like you're trying to trip them up, right? You've got a barrister that's trying to, they're doing an amazing job, but their job is to try and discredit that person. That damage can't be undone. Yeah. You can't undo that if you do that to someone. And then you want to try and co-parent with that person after that day. Good luck. So you get, it's so hard. If you do damage to each other too much, it just makes it so hard. Yeah. And the other thing too is, and this is probably something that people don't think about or talk about is just because you separate, it doesn't mean you don't still have feelings for them. Or like you had a life to then have to sit up against court and, and parent. And as you said, people maybe when they're in the heightened state of their emotion, don't think about that, what that looks like down the track, how it's going to make them feel. Having a lawyer that can be really just get it done, provide that advice, all these sorts of things are so important. God, you're bloody good, Kate. <laughs> I'm just listening to you. Man, no wonder you are a lawyer. The reality of it, whether you like it or not, if there are kids, you are still in a family. Yeah. Like it might be fractured, it might be broken, but you have to be in each other's lives. You have to find a way to work it out. Yeah. And for some people, that's not talking to each other. That's parallel parenting and it's doing their own thing and sending emails and keeping it factual. Other people have to work really hard and they do therapy or they have apps, but you have to try to work it out. If there's kids, especially if they're little, you've got to go to school things together. Event, they might have a wedding. They're going to have birthday parties. Whilst some people do have to do those things separately, it's better for kids if parents can get along. Yeah. If they can. Sometimes they can't. And I'm not trying to say that everybody can do that because sometimes it's not safe for people to do that. Sometimes people are so unreasonable and irrational that it's completely impossible mm -hmm. to do that. But where you can, you just have to try and find a way. And it means just putting all the shit aside. Yeah. You have to work for what's better for the kids. Yeah. Rise above it. Yeah. You just have to. You have to where there's kids involved. Have you ever had an instance where you've gone through like a whole separation settlement with somebody and then they've actually reconciled and gotten back together? Yeah. I help people stay together all the time. Stop it. <laughs> I do for a number of reasons. Yeah. Some of the time it's when people go, shit, we've got the whole pie when we're together and then everybody has access to the pie. But when you split, you're going to split the pie. Yeah. And some people just don't really understand the concept that you're going to lose. No one wins in a separation because you're dividing everything. So you're going to lose financially and you're not going to be in the same position that you were in before. And some people don't really realise how much they're going to be disadvantaged or how much they might have to pay the other person. And sometimes when I'm giving people figures, you just see their eyes like freaking out going, oh, maybe we should try that marriage counselling. Like maybe yeah. it's not that bad. I had a lady the other day say to me, she's actually, now that I'm saying all these things, he actually sounds pretty great. And I'm like, he does sound really great. <laughs> and she's like, 
maybe I'm going to rethink this. So it does happen. Yeah. It does happen. Does anyone ever go through the whole process and they do separate and then a few years later you find out they get back together? Yep. Yep. I've had a few. I've had a few and they're like, hey, we're back. Like, I'm back again. This is what happened. We separated like I did it the first time. Then we got back together and I'm like, what? And then they're separated again. So, oh, yeah, I've had, it, I've had it a couple of times. Oh, like you've had it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Repeat, repeat customers. Is there any legal requirements for people to separate for a certain amount of time before they officially divorce or they can literally break up overnight and then come and see you and go through the process? So with married couples, they have to be separated for 12 months mm. to be able to apply for a divorce. Yeah. You have to apply for your property settlement within two years if you're a de facto. So you've got that two-year period to sort it out. Yeah. But for either, you can do your property settlement straight away. A lot of people think that divorce includes your property settlement and your parenting arrangements. It doesn't. The divorce is literally just the legal termination of your marriage so that you're not married anymore. Yeah. So people separate. You can do your property settlement the next day if you wanted to. Not a good idea. Generally good to let the dust settle and work out how you feel about it. But you can do that straight away for de facto or married couples can do their property settlement. It's only once you get divorced, you've then got 12 months to sort it out. So often you'll see close to that 12-month mark, that's where people start commencing proceedings if it hasn't been sorted out because after that you need to seek special permission from the court to go to court if you can't sort it out. And same for de facto, you've got that two-year period. Yeah, interesting. But tip do it early. Don't wait because it gets complicated. If people get into a new relationship or they get property or they get a pay rise or people get inheritances, it can just make things so complicated. So it's much better to try to sort it out early. Yeah. Are there any other things that through your experience that you would give as advice for people? You've given a lot of great advice, but is there anything else that's been huge for you where you're like, one that you keep saying is sort it out early? Is there anything else? Oh, there's so many. Yeah. So many. I've been doing it for 17 years. I feel like a veteran sometimes. But is that crazy to think that you've wild. done it for 17 it years? Wild. I was saying yeah. to you at coffee because I had to speak at my old uni. They asked me to come and do a speech a couple of weeks ago. And when I was preparing it, I was like, oh, my God, I graduated 19 years ago. <laughs> like it makes you feel, in you my head like I'm a still day 20. over 21. I still think I'm 26 in my head. So it's a real problem. I'm like, that maths does not work out. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the not, wrong year. That's not possible. But I think, like, just the people that just fight for the sake of fighting, that just, I've argued about hairbands. I've argued about lawnmowers. I've argued about spray and wipe bottles and, like, cloths. Like, crazy stuff. I remember saying to a barrister who said something about hairbands not being returned at changeover, I'm like, I will literally go to the shop and buy a thousand hairbands for your client if we don't have to have this conversation. Like, can we not? Please just be sensible. Don't fight about the things you don't need to Mm. fight about. That's probably the big one is just not take every point. Like you have to be prepared to compromise. Otherwise you will end up paying an absolute fortune in legal fees. If you want lawyers to write letters about absolutely everything in your life and some people just can't communicate so they have to do that. But if you can try to find a little bit of middle ground where you can actually have a conversation and just – You've got to suck some things up. Like you're not going to win everything. And people often say, I just want to have my day in court. I'm like, that's great. And if you get this judge, that might be okay. But if you get that one, it's not going to be okay. And some judges don't care. 
they don't care about your life as much as you do. It's like they want justice and want to be heard and that they're right, which everybody does, right? Like we're human. They just want someone to say, do you know what? You're right and the other side is an asshole. Yeah. And that does not happen. Sometimes it does. Judges wouldn't say asshole. But what I say to people is your family, your kids, they've retained their personalities. You are best placed to decide what should happen for them. So is the other person. So if you two can work together... And actually come up with something that works for your family rather than letting a stranger who doesn't know you, who's just going to come up with an agreement that they think is going to work, might not work, try to sort it out early. Yeah. Sometimes you can't absolutely get that. But if you can, you should do it. It's like court is not the place to be if you can help it. Yeah. It's not something that people want for their future, but it is something that unfortunately comes up and a lot of people don't know where to go and like the processes or people might have friends and family that are going through the processes themselves and don't understand the intricacies of it. So it's good to hear it like from your perspective. And yeah, I, and also thank you for sharing that you, it's something that you've gone through yourself because I think that is something that people might just assume, oh, she's a lawyer. She would never go through that. But life is life. It, like it happens to people. And we've all had breakups. Yeah. Like most people have had their heart broken and Going through a breakup, it's horrendous. Yeah. It's it's awful. And when there's kids involved, it's really hard. It's so tricky. It can be one of the most traumatic things that people people go through. But I guess what I've learned, and as someone that in my early years, I loved the fight. I loved it. And it was really satisfying getting into court and having legal arguments. And it's like, I won. There's a feeling of success in that. Mm. And I am very competitive. So it's hard because you do want to win and you do want to get a good outcome. But I think the longer that I've been practicing for and the more that I've seen, winning looks different to me now. Like Mm -hmm. winning is getting out of this early and not spending all your money on legal fees and not fighting to the point where you have no co-parenting relationship left with the other person or your kids are affected by it. Like it's inevitably going to involve compromise. Yeah. That's really hard for people when they're in the the thick thick of it. it. Yeah. So a lot of it is working with people to see if we can't sort it out, this is what it's going to look like and it's not nice. And is it hard, even though you say that when you're in front of the client, you really try to separate the emotion just so you can get to it, but with those more difficult cases, is it hard not to take that home? Yeah. And look, there are are cases I will remember forever. There's cases where I still think about at Mm. night, in the middle of the night, and I worry because we unfortunately do see really horrific things in this area. A lot of the time you're dealing with property settlement, you're just fighting about the house and super and... But sometimes we're dealing with child sexual abuse. We're dealing with horrendous family violence, really significant mental health issues. I've had clients threaten suicide in front of me where I've had to worry, are they going to kill themselves? Is there something that I could have done differently? Worry about people get killed in our industry. There's family lawyers that are being killed. There's judges that are being killed. And you forget that it can be really dangerous. So a lot of the time it's not. And you don't think like that. But then occasionally you'll just have these matters come up that remind you how big it is, what you're doing. Yeah. And then make the ones where the hairband is an incident feel so insignificant. You almost want to be like, you have no idea. Yeah. And it's hard because for someone that's living it, that it's going to feel massive to them. Mm. And especially when it's their kids, it's going to feel like the biggest thing in the world. But it's hard to sometimes explain to people the judge that you're about to go before has probably just heard a case about kids being abducted or kids being sexually abused or beaten or starved where there's neglect or, and it's the judge is not going to care whether your changeover is an hour earlier or 
later. Mm. Like that's just the reality of it. And it's, it's really hard for people to wrap their head around the fact that people are never going to care as much as they do yeah. about their matter. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You've spoken a couple of times just around your support network and like the friends and the mentors that you've had in your life. Who would you say has been your biggest support, particularly in those really tough moments? Yeah, I have the most incredible network of friends. Yeah, like we I've were got talking the about most this. fabulous like tribe of women and men, but there are some girls in my life. I did a pregnancy class and became best friends with three other women in the pregnancy class. We were all due around the same time. And they are like my sisters. Like they are the ones that showed up on my doorstep straight after the separation with a basket of donuts and wine and all of the things. Sunny hasn't slept for five years. So I'm like been a walking zombie for the last five years. They would take him and say, go to bed. We've got him. We've got you. That's incredible. Like just phenomenal. And I have so many women like that in my life. My parents moved up from the Blue Mountains to come and move in and help me. So we've all had to change roles. My parents are basically helping co-parent with me at the moment because I have to work. So I'm like the breadwinner in the family. My dad this morning comes over to help get Sunny ready for school while I'm getting ready and we share pick up and Jace helps too. Like we've all got our different roles in what we do, but I am so supported. It's funny because sometimes I've referred to myself as being a single mum but I'm not because there are so many people that are doing it with me and I feel like I'm held by them all the time and it's just been so amazing to have these friendships and these women and men that I can call upon and they're just there and they've got you and it's like a real connection and I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful for them. They're just the most incredible humans and I couldn't have done it. I couldn't have done those dark days without them getting me through. And Sunny just has this fabulous network of aunties. They're the family that you choose and yeah, they're amazing. I love that. We were talking about this at coffee. You've got a few and like a few that we're connected with. Elise, if you're listening. Love Elise. Um, She's like the best. She's been the most incredible friend. And can we just have a side note and talk about your 40 plus one birthday that you did? (laughs) So it was- Cachella. The Cachella, but it was legit. Like I had it, I did my girlfriend's hands and we did a Cachella and it was like a night, like we just all got dressed up. Yours was like legitimately a festival. And this is my shot at redemption because- Elise and Mitch Bowen, if you're listening, literally planned that whole thing for me. We had we were having drinks and like, what do you want to do for your 40th? And I'm like, I think I want a festival. Elise is like, yep, okay, leave it to us. We can do it, right? So we're there and they literally put a festival together. Like we had a band. I had an African dance class. I had African drumming. I had a paella guy. I had a DJ. I had outfit changes. You like, did I a rendition. painting. Yeah. I did a Beyonce flash dance, which yeah. was amazing. It was. But I forgot to thank Elise and Mitch in my speech. So this is my speech, Elise. Here you go. I love you. You're amazing. Mitch and Elise, thank you for my party. Because I was so nervous and I hate speaking. Yes. Especially on a microphone. Yeah. So I get up on the spot, not thinking I have to do a speech. I got called up on stage. So I just looked around to who I could see to thank. And I got down and one of my best friends is like, you literally forgot to thank Elise and Mitch and they literally put on this festival for you. Redemption. Like, oh my god! And now we joke about it because, yeah. like, I love her to pieces, and they on they went so above and beyond. It yeah. was the best, and it was the best party I've ever been to. It was so fun. You've spoken a little bit, like, quite a lot about Sunny, and and particularly around that transition into motherhood and how that's 
made you think about how you do your role differently, but how has being a mum changed you? Oh my God. I feel like some days I don't know how I survived the early years. During the pregnancy, I got like really debilitating migraines where I'd lose my vision and I couldn't see. I wouldn't be able to see you. And I'd lose my speech. So I couldn't talk. It felt like I was having a stroke. I'd just like brain gone, just wouldn't be able to speak. And then I got really massive cankles. I'll show you when we finish. You can, <laughs> if I'm brave enough, I'll let you post it. But like they were, when I showed the midwife the photo, she's like, if I didn't know what the top half of you look like, I would think you were like 300 kilos obese with diabetes or that you'd been in the water for too long. Cause this is not like, what is going on with you? So there was that, had a really traumatic birth. He was stuck and I'd had gastro for two days. So I had a really high temperature and I had nothing in the tank. And he got stuck, got really distressed, like his heart stopped. My mum was there thinking that he was going to be stillborn. Like when, and I was so out of it because I hadn't slept, but it was, they're like, if we don't get him out now, like you go in a theatre, it was quite traumatic. And then I was recovering. He did not sleep. He did not sleep. We did everything. We went to Tresillion, went to see all of the specialists. Like he just, this kid, he loves to party. But he's so cute that I can't even be mad at him. Yeah. Like I literally have been walking around like a zombie for the last five years because in the early stages he would just party all night. He's just wanted to hang. But he'd wake up eight times. Even last night it was like three times. But it's cute now and I can't even get mad. My partner always says to me, you have the patience of a saint. Like how do you not get frustrated? Because sometimes he'll come in so many times. But he just wants to touch me or he just wants to see my face. He's wild. He's so smart. He's really quirky. And this kid is just like a mini me. Yeah. He just, any excuse to party, any excuse for fancy dress. Yeah. He just loves it. I love it too because, like, you think about a lawyer and people just think black and white suit briefcase and you are just, like, unapologetically yourself and you have had such a beautifully successful career but you haven't changed who you are. You're not the stereotype but you're so good at what you do and I love that you're just like, I am who I am. I just think you should be so chuffed with yourself. It's beautiful. But I think that's come with age as well because I think in the early days I was so conscious of just being a little bit more conservative because I grew up with parents that are hippies. They took off when I was four and we lived in tents with no clothes on and they're quite left of centre. So I'm a greenie. I'm really passionate about like political yeah. issues. and But I tried really hard in the early stages of my career to be quite straight and conservative because I just wanted to fit in and not be too loud, not draw attention yeah. to the point that I wouldn't even wear lipstick or anything because I'm like, I don't want to be too loud or earrings. And now I'm like, I'm 42. If not now, then when? If I want to wear bright orange lipstick and loud earrings, I'm going to do it because I can still do my job, but I just feel so much more myself now. Do you think people gravitate to you more because of that? Probably because I spent a lot of my earlier years being quite unsure of myself Mm. and being a people pleaser and not really knowing who I was. Mm. And I think going through some traumatic things, it helps you to realise who you are, Mm. who your people are, like who are the people that you can count on in the dark days. But also just getting older and just going, I don't like that and I don't want to do that or I really like that. I love 40. I love 40. Yeah. It's so funny. Everyone's like wanting to be 20. I'd love to have my 20-year-old boobs back, please. Can I have my (laughs) 20-year-old boobs back? But apart from that, I just am so happy with my life now. Like I'm so happy I'm madly in love, have a great partner, have a beautiful house. I have the most amazing team at work. Like it just 
killer lawyers, but beautiful humans, like they're incredible. And the workplace is so amazing. I just love working there. And I just look around and go, look at the humans that I have in my world. Yeah. But I feel like I've got my own back for the first time. Yeah. And I'm like, no, I've got you. You can see it on you as well. It's so amazing. You go, gal. (laughs) I just, I need a gavel in here. (laughs) What is something that you're super proud of? That's a hard one because there's so many things. It's like work stuff I'm really proud of, like my career and the network that I've got and the reputation that I've got. I'm really proud of that. But I think following on from what we just said, I'm just proud of how I've shown up for myself. And that's been hard. I've had to do a lot of work on that and I've had to learn to back myself, trust myself, do things that I like doing. And I feel like I'm finally starting to build a life that I'm really proud of. Yeah. But I have to say as well, just the humans that I have around me, I just love them. I'm so lucky. Yeah. And you're obviously that to them. Like that's obviously a testament to who you are as a person, that you've got your tribe and they probably rely on you just as much as you rely on them and you give that back. It's hard when you say that because you're like, no, there's no way that I would be the same. And I can be a bit chaotic. I'm that hot mess friend that's like tearing in at the last minute, like with my hair everywhere, losing my keys, losing my phone. Like this morning I forgot my laptop and I'm just like sometimes a bit chaotic. It's funny with work. I somehow manage to just hold it together all the time and I can be quite serious. I had one of the girls at the office say to me a couple of days ago, Before I met you, I just thought you were so serious and so put together. How wrong I was. (laughs) You are a hot mess. I love it. Like, you're so fun, but you're not as put together as what what I thought. And I can do it with my job. Super organised, but everything else, bit of chaos. Yeah. Yeah. Total hot mess. You're a balance. Yeah. I love (laughs) it. Totally. Anything else you want to add with what you're proud of? Sunny. Yeah. Sunny. He's... Amazing. Yeah. He's so smart. Like in some of the things that he comes out with, I'm just like, oh, he came to, I do African dance. He wanted to come with me the other night because he said, I just want to be with you. I was sitting there watching him like dancing and at the end doing his little stretches and his little yoga moves. My heart was just like bursting out of my chest going, look at this little human. Like I literally grew you. We just have the funnest adventures. What does success look like to you? Mm -hmm. See, Old me would have been like winning because I am quite competitive. But now success to me is like inner peace. And as corny as that sounds, like it's just about getting that balance right of health has become so important to me. And I actually have to thank Jace for that. I really do have to thank Jace for my love of exercise. Like he really got me into exercise and it's something that I've stuck with. So physical health is really important, but also my mental health and just making sure that I'm looking after myself. I love my own space. I love going for my big long walks and being in a relationship where we both are committed to doing a lot of work and working together and that growth and just trying to grow and trying to learn now looks like success to me and trying to, yeah, set healthy examples for Sunny and trying to learn as I'm parenting and going, oh my God, oh, he's learning that from me. Shit. Okay. I better, I better change. And when I see him do things like my dog bear, bless him, he gets terrified of storms. And Sonny the other day just walked up and put his little arms around bear. And he said, it's okay. I'm here. Take a deep breath in through your nose and a big breath out through your mouth. Oh, I like, like, I'm so proud in that moment. 
It's not always like that. A lot of the time it's absolute chaos. He's got this big heart. That feels like success to me because we've worked through those things and the hard moments and, yeah, that feels like success. I do love that and I think it's something that we've been speaking about at work a lot that mental health, self-care, work-life balance stuff has has come to the forefront for a lot of people and a lot of businesses. So it's nice to hear you say that because sometimes when you deprioritize your own mental health, it then affects the relationships that you have with other people. So yeah, yeah, I love that answer. I I also have to do a shout out to Sheree and Shane, who are my bosses. They hate me calling them my bosses because they're like, we're in this together. And they absolutely practice that. Everyone feels like they're a part of the team. It's hands down the best place I have ever worked. And I remember talking to Cherie before I came and just being really nervous and thinking, I don't know what this is going to look like. And she was like, I'm really interested in work-life balance and I want people to be healthy and I want to support them. And people say that all the time. Yeah. They live and breathe it. And as a lawyer that's had to work ridiculous hours, like you work so hard and you're so used to having that mentality of you just got to bill, you got to bill, you got to meet your targets. We just don't have that. What would you say to the Kate that was walking into a courtroom for the first time? Oh my gosh, learn some stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Actually know know some things other than your name would be like a good starting point. But I think I just was always so scared and always felt like such a fraud. And I think just I want to go back and hug her and just be like, It's okay. You've got this. Back yourself a little bit more. Stop feeling like a fraud all the time. Yeah. Be proud of what you've done and where you've come from. Like you've been through some really hard things and look at you. Look at where you are. Like it'll make me emotional, but I'm like, oh, little Kate. I just want to go and give her a hug and be like, look at you go, girl. Like good for you. In your beige You're doing the thing. Yeah. yeah, Put some lipstick on. Yes, literally. (laughs) Go and put some lipstick on and be a bit more you. Yeah. That's part of it. Is, it is. is. Actually, you have to live it, right? Yeah. You have to go through all of those things to, yeah. to get to where you are. That's a great answer. I have absolutely loved this chat, <laughs> but I am just going to ask one more, which is a book recommendation. It can't be the dictionary. Okay. <laughs> damn it. Damn it. Okay, party poopers. I did think about this one because I'm a total book nerd and I have a thousand books. I pay for extra baggage to bring like second home books home. Like I'm that person. I love books and I devour them. But I think... Can I say two? Yeah, of course. <laughs> Go for it. Phosphorescence, which is Julia Baird, and it's about finding the sense of awe and wonder in the dark days. And it's what are the things that you hold on to when the world is dark? What are the things that keep you ticking? And it's having that connection to people, having your tribe, having your passion projects, having a sense of wonder of the world, go outside and look at the sky. Mm. When still like, and I still do it. I go outside and be like, man, you forget, look at these stars. We're just walking around and they're there. You just take it for granted. So yeah. I love that book because it's just a reminder of finding that sense of wonder in the dark days. And the other one would, it's very similar, is this one wild and precious life. And that's Sarah Wilson. And she's a climate change campaigner. She's a human rights advocate. She's this incredible woman. I love her. I love her podcast too. But it's a really similar thing about what is it that you can hold on to and the people that you can hold on to and the planet to keep you moving through the really tough times. So they're just incredible books that really resonated with me. Yeah. 
It's just a good reminder to get out of your head. Yeah. Go for a walk. Go hug a tree. Go hug a tree. Go hug a tree. That is. Go put some lippy on. Go hug a tree. What a way to finish. What a way to finish. (laughs) I love it. You are an angel. Thank you so much for coming in. Thank you for having me. I've just sat here with a smile on my face. I've said nothing the whole time. I'm just like I can can talk. I'm I'm like, like, I'm so nervous, but then I'm like. Yeah. Where's the mic? No, you are amazing. Thank Thank you you so much. Thanks for listening to another episode of Yeah The Gals. If you like what you heard, hit subscribe or follow us on Instagram at Yeah The Gals Podcast. And remember, gals, you bloody got this. Yeah.